This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from the international real estate firm Cressa in Tyson's, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch Solutions, William Tidwell, Cressa, Maggie Jensik, Prosperity Group, and John Chuar, Greybeard Coaching. John, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Sure. Our first guest is Mike McDermott, president of Inquisit. Our second guest is Gina Schaefer, owner and chief localist of a few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals. Our third guest is Mark Drever, the CEO of Accelerate Solutions. And our last guest is Joe Meadows, partner of Bean, Kinney, and Corman. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, Mike McDermott, president of Inquisit. Mike, what is Inquisit? What are you guys doing? We're an uh, IT services firm serving exclusively the federal government. And how large are how small is this firm? A little over 100 folks across the United States. And where are you from originally? Uh, right outside New York City in North Jersey. And how many brothers and sisters? Oldest of four. Two brothers and a sister. Uh-huh. And I understand that what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old? Uh, a lot of work and a lot of sports. What do you mean? Uh, the rule in the house was you had to work 20 hours a week in order to play a sport. My big sport was soccer. You had to work 20 hours a week in order to play a sport. So what did you do to make money? What kind of work were you doing? Oh, I had all kinds of stuff between those ages. Uh, everything from paper boy, washing dishes, uh, later got certified as personal trainer, uh, substitute janitor, all kinds of stuff. What did being a janitor teach you? Well, it was, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a great job, um, a little embarrassing sometimes having your friends see you wash toilets and things like that. So um, definitely that you can't consider yourself beyond anything that needs to be done in the business. Are you using that lesson nowadays? I mean, as the, uh, it says here that you're the president of this organization, Inquisit? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, everybody knows, and, and you've got to lead from the front and by example in this way that you have to do what needs to be done in order to progress the team and progress the business and um, even to the point of having to let some folks go if they're not willing to play into that. Mike, tell us about soccer and, and what position you were playing. Yeah, I was mostly a, a center midfielder. Um, was a pretty decent player, ended up uh, getting looked at and going to college, but ended up getting hurt. Uh, was captain of the high school team. Well, you in the green room, you talked about being captain. What was so special about being captain of the soccer team? Uh, I was I was voted in uh, much to the coaches' chagrin. Uh, the coaches were actually not a fan of mine. I was kind of uh, willing. Why did to go. you get voted in? It was the it was the player's choice. I think that they wanted somebody who was gonna you know stick up for them and do some of the things that they didn't want to do. So tell us your proudest moment from being captain and, and being on the soccer team. It was uh, in one of our state championship games. Uh, I got assigned to cover. Uh, one of the top players in the state was uh, All-American and everything else. Uh, their coach uh, was a two-time Olympic coach, and they kind of assumed that they were going to walk through to the finals. They were an exceptional team, and I had to basically stick in this guy's pocket the entire game and make sure he didn't score as a leading scorer in the state, uh, and he did not put him in the back of the net, and we ended up winning that game. And, and what did you say to him at the end of the game? 
<laughs> nothing. He was he was not pleased. He just left. And what? Uh, so he didn't say anything to you. No. And, and what did you learn from that experience that you're applying today <laughs> as a president you, of you, a growing company? Sure. You've got to have focus. Um, you've got to stick to what's important. Have focus and stick to it all the way. John. So I'm curious, what did your dad do? My dad was a, uh, well, he started off as a, a Pepperidge Farm trucker through the Bronx and ended up working his way through warehouse management, ultimately in sales and brokerage, and actually at 52 years old, opened up his own firm. And what did you learn from your dad? Work ethic. Uh, he's, to this day, one of the hardest working people I know. So other than your mom and dad, who was the big influence in your life at that age? You know, honestly, there was not a lot. Um, I think, you know, in terms of growing up, the one of the biggest influences in my life is actually my ex-wife. Uh, we met at 16 and ended up getting married at 21. We were married for 15 years and she was a, a balancing figure to me and added much to my emotional quotient. Uh, with the sports background, I kind of had the, the aggressive side and the you know willing to run through walls side. So what, what does that uh, EQ that she kind of brought you or taught you, how does that show up today at Inquisit? Um, you have to work with uh, people in a way that is sensitive to a degree, which is not something you see and hear from people in the executive role a lot, but that's ultimately what drives results. William? Yeah, um, Mike, this is one of the few radio shows I think would be much better on TV because people can't actually see you. Uh, you're a successful executive, you're a successful bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that you were in the Marines as well. Six years. Uh, how, did that, uh, how did that help you? What do you use from the Marines? Oh, from the Marines, gosh, I, I think the Marine Corps uh, in particular and the military overall is one of the few places that teaches leadership. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved with the, the business schools and things like that. I personally never even finished college, but, um, you know, work around the universities and they teach a lot of business practice, but not leadership. Um, and in the Marine Corps, leadership is taught and leadership is tested uh, and, and tested with lives at stake. And so there's no better place to learn how to lead people. Andrew? Uh, there was a story about uh, your father, you mentioned, you know, hard worker and, and the influence he had on you. And, uh, and we were talking in the green room. There's a story about tax collection. Can you tell us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, at, we, at 14 years old, you can get your working papers and, and start paying into Social Security. And as a, uh, you know, staunch Republican at the time, at least, my dad was making sure that we did that. So we went out to the school, got the working papers, um, you know, made sure our employer was taking taxes out at the end of the year. So I was probably about 15 years old. He, uh, you know, taught me how to do my taxes. Well, we filed with the IRS, the IRS sends a letter back, says we never even heard of you. So, uh, you know, my dad says, you know what happened? He says, your, uh, you know, your, your boss pocketed, pocketed your tax money. And so we're gonna go through all the files, we're gonna put it together, you're gonna go get it. So we went through all the paperwork, added all the numbers up, had all my stubs and a little, you know, spreadsheet we put together. And uh, he drove me to the front of the restaurant that I was working at and said, all right, now go inside and get your money. And you, and you got your money, and, and it, what did that teach you about, uh, and, and what did you bring to the future? Sure, probably the biggest thing is how to have a really uncomfortable conversation. Uh, it's not something, again, that, that most people get taught or willing to do or even willing to have their kids do in a lot of areas, and it is valuable beyond belief. Uh, so you're, you seem to have been absorbing a lot of experiences from when you were a kid, and, and you're a pretty humble kind of guy working as a janitor, and you know your friends were seeing this and stuff. Well, this business, 100 people, that you're now the, uh, it says here you're the president of. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, do you have the fanciest car in the parking lot? No, no, and I live in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, I just, you, you, you go through things in life that teach you a, a certain amount of humility, and uh, you just, I think you should demonstrate that. In the green room, you talked about a belief that I think sometimes serves but can challenge CEOs and work becomes family. Tell us a little bit about what you struggled with there. Uh, yeah, so was, a couple of years ago, I had a, uh, a very, very tough experience. Actually, within six months, lost my mom, my job, and my family through a divorce. And uh, <clears throat> realized pretty quickly going through that that the time in which you spend with a business, um, for me, not having a family I was incredibly close to, made the business my family. And I think that there's a value to those relationships in an organization, but you've got to also have um, a good support system all around. You talked about a support system, but you need to, to change your support system. Can you expound on that? Why do you have to change it? Yeah, sure. At that time, I had to change the support system because mine was very, very tied to the business that I was with. And uh, at the time, ended up in, in lawsuits with them. And so that was just not possible. Um, so I had to kind of look for other folks to support me in different ways. So you so as a po- you, don't, you don't like being separate. You like being part of a team. It sounds like when the issue with the business arose and a lot of your buddies were in the business and there was some litigation that ensued that you, you lost, you know, you were, you're not an independent kind of guy. You lost your support group. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, going to through a legal process with people who for 10, 12 years you had over your house for dinner on a regular basis is a tough thing to go through. So, you know, you hear the business is blood and guts, but that's not the way you operate, is it? No, no, not at all. Um, you know, back to the, the, the EQ point and having an understanding of people and developing relationships, um, that's incredibly important to have in business and being understanding that everybody's got a life outside the organization. And between the two, you have to find the right balance in order to move the organization forward as well as have the right relationship. So as opposed to not having the nicest car and the nicest house, you're living in a one-bedroom apartment now. So what, what, what is important to you as the president of this company, 100 people? Uh, that we create an organization that when people are, you know, 70 years old and say, you know, where did you work and, you know, what was your favorite job or what did you do for a living, the first thing they think of is Inquisit. Wow. What, what, what's the website address of this organization? It's I-N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-L-L-C.com. Let me have that one more time. I-N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-L-L-C.com. We've been speaking with Mike McDermott, president of Inquisit here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name and organization is? Hi, I'm Chris Sutton. I'm with Bean, Kinney, and Corman. We're a uh, mid-sized law firm, full-service law firm in Arlington, Virginia. And what's your role there? I am their marketing manager. And so what's the marketing manager at Bean Kenny, this law firm, do? Um, basically, I'm responsible for everything from Soup to Nuts, that is our website, it's sponsorships, it's brand awareness, it's charitable organizations, it's all of it. So you sound like a pretty responsible uh, individual. How young were you when this responsibility began to show itself up? Well, I guess as a child, it probably real sur- really surfaced itself around age 9 or 10. How come? Um, shortly after my father left, and, um, and it was just me and my mom. And pretty much I had to step up and take charge of everything. So, Like what? Oh, it was making my own meals, doing my own laundry, you know, cleaning the house, you know, helping her wherever I could. 
So, so you've got this responsibility thing in your blood. How's that playing out at work nowadays? Um, it's it's everything. I think um, you know. I'm, even though I feel responsible, I'm responsible ensuring that uh, everyone at the law firm is fully aware of what we're doing um, as a business and to you know promote our, our services to our clients to our soon-to-be clients. Is your and mom aware of what you're doing nowadays? Sorry. Is your mom still around? Yes. Is she aware of what you're doing nowadays? Yes. Is she surprised? No. Why? Um, I don't think she's ever been surprised by anything I do. She's very supportive, but uh, in in such a way that she never, you know, had expectations of me and never wanted me to yeah, be she, something. She knows you're responsible. She what, knows I'm responsible. What's yeah. the website address of this law firm? It's uh, beankinney.com. That's B-E-A-N-K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. Let me add that one more time. Beankinney.com, B-E-A-N-K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. And your name again is? It's Chris Sutton. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name and organization is? I am Gabe Muller, the uh, founder of Muller Consulting Services. And what do you guys do? Uh, we help uh, wealth management and financial planning uh, organizations across the country with uh, human capital strategies, technology strategies, and also marketing and branding. What were you doing prior to starting this business? Uh, prior to this business, I was the COO of a local wealth management firm here in Tysons. So you were the chief operating officer of a wealth management firm, and then you decided to start your own business. Trying to figure out, that's a whole risky thing there. Where, where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from a, a Midwest, uh, uh -huh. small town, Indiana. How many brothers and sisters? Seven. I'm, yeah. I'm one of seven. And how young were you when you decided to take your first risk? What was that? Uh, I was uh, probably uh, eight, nine years old, and I decided to be a, I was a wrestler, and I uh, walked down on the mat. Ah, so you think there's a, the wrestling thing and the fact that, you know, you put yourself out on the line. It's sort of like what you're doing with this consulting business. What's the website address of this organization? MullerConsultingServices.com. Let me have that one more time. MullerConsultingServices.com. And this has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Gina Schaefer, owner and chief localist. A few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals. What is a few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals? Um, I own 11 Ace Hardware Stores. Ace is a co-op, and so I, I have 11 Ace Hardware Stores and a rental business for tools and party supplies. Uh -huh. How large or how small is this team? We have about 240 people on our team. How old is the business? 16 years. Who started the business? I did. You started the business? I did. Hardware stores? Yes. Uh huh. Women run great hardware stores. Where were you from originally? Northeastern Ohio. How many brothers and sisters? I have one brother. He's about 16 months younger than me. Uh-huh. And what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old? Uh, well, I also have nine exchange siblings because my parents hosted a lot of exchange students growing up. So um, I was learning about foreign lands. I was getting excited about languages. I was a cheerleader, very uh -huh. active in school. Uh, hold on for a second here. Um, how young were you uh, when you started making money? Um, I wrote my first business plan in sixth grade, and I don't know why I remember this, but I do, but I wanted to make some money, and I wanted to own my own business. So you're in sixth grade, you're probably about 12 years old or so, and you wrote your first business plan. So you're, you're an ideal lady. You're able to come up with ideas. Sometimes. And then, <laughs> and then follow through on stuff, because you have 240 people. All right, Maggie, where, where, where do you, you want to go? Gina, what did your mom and dad do for a living? Uh, my mom owned a beauty shop. It was in the basement of our very small house, and my father worked on an assembly line and drove a school bus. A beauty shop in the basement. Did you have an opportunity to work with your mom? Um, I Yes, actually. I think I was my mom's test case for a lot of things. So I had curly hair one day and straight hair one day, and then braids, no, no braids. I, uh, I became very flexible with my appearance. Do you think this flexibility helped you in your business? 
It absolutely did. I mean, nothing in retail is ever standard. Nothing in business is ever ever standard, right? So it's nice to be able to roll with it. It's nice. Um, it gives. It helps me now deal with a wide variety of employees and and customers that come into our businesses. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Andrew, other than mom and dad, Tina, who were your mentors growing up? Um, I always think of two main uh, women in particular um, when I'm asked this question. I had a speech and debate debate coach in high school. I started competing in ninth grade in speech and debate. Uh, she made a huge impact on uh, what I wanted to do growing up and how I uh, wanted to present myself. And then I had a crazy grandmother who uh, probably made a lot of bad life choices. And now, you know, now that I'm older and can think about it, but she was just fun and outgoing and she never made a lot of money, but she never seemed down. Um, and so she taught me a lot about how to live also. In the green room, you mentioned your employees give you a reputation for the way you lead. What, 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 what was that? Um, I've been accused of, of uh, leading by cheerocracy, uh, going back to the days of being a cheerleader, I guess. And some people think that's a really bad way to lead a company. And sometimes it's really good. Who do you think you got that from? Um, I, my parents are very enthusiastic people. And so I think I got a little bit of it from them, certainly from my grandmother and her, um, her love of life. Mm-hmm. Alex? So let's go to the speech and debate. In the green room, you talked about a memorable story in ninth grade. C- can you share with the audience that yeah, story? Yeah, sure. Um, so my school was one of the schools that allowed ninth graders to start speech and debate. Typically, I think it was 10th grade at that time in Ohio. And I went to state my first year. Um, and I realized, one, that I like to compete, but I lost at that event. Um, and so it, it probably taught me a little humility and made me want to win the next year. And how have you taken that desire to win into your current company? Um, well, most people don't believe that women can run hardware stores or didn't when I started, nor did they think that opening a hardware store in an urban environment was an easy or smart thing to do. And I've disproved both of those things. Congratulations. Thanks. Mm-hmm. William? Yeah, you mentioned that uh, you grew up in a small town in Ohio uh, without a lot of diversity, but you own 11 stores in urban areas that uh, I assume have a great deal of adversity. Um, how are you able to make that transition? Um, I think, you know, I mentioned having the exchange students growing up, and it started, I think, the first exchange student that lived with us. I was 14, um, and it really set me down on this path of just wanting to know what the world was like and wanting to get out of a small town, um, seeing a bigger, a bigger world. So being in the city now, one, it feels completely natural for me, but it also allows me to interact with so many different kinds of people every day. Uh, that I think probably my interest in that and ability to navigate that started when I was much younger. And and how did that, we talk a little bit about your customers being in a diverse area. How is that uh, transferred to your employees? Well, we like to reflect, we like our employee base, my teammates to reflect what our customers look like. And so you can imagine what that's like in the city, right? We come in all different sizes and shapes and races and languages and and ethnicities and sexual orientations and whatever. Um, And we reflect the communities that we're in. And I think the communities respond to that. Mm -hmm. John? So other than selling stuff, how does a few cool hardware stores give back to the community? We do a lot of really cool things. So there's a tenant in the co-op world that's cooperating with other co-ops. And so we are the main supplier to a a co-op that was formed to serve churches and and synagogues. It's also started to include nonprofits and charter schools. And we host dog adoptions, ladies' nights. Um, We participate in events with Cabot Creamery, which is a national cheese co-op of farmers in New England. Uh, there's a long list of community involvement that we have roundups we sell candy bars we always laugh that we're kind of the Girl Scouts of the hardware store because you can buy a candy bar for charity Um, so what's the nickname of the your your stores the nickname yeah you mentioned earlier in the room 
in the green room that was uh, recovery hardware. Tell oh, yeah. I, I actually have a, a group of employees who started working with us from the Whitman Walker um, Drug Rehabilitation um, facility. And so they have nicknamed us, and I didn't know this until years later, but recovery hardware, which I was very flattered to hear that. It was made me proud, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So how does that show up in other aspects of your life? Well, we, um, we have a very open policy. So we don't ask about anyone's uh, challenges in their background when they come to work for us. And some of those folks have been in jail or prison. Some of them are coming out of a, um, a rehab situation. And so we're constantly celebrating those successes in well, the business, very open about all of those things. What would your grandmother say about that? Uh, well, Grandma liked to drink and smoke a lot. I think, she, <laughs> I think she'd be very proud of our openness to uh, all sorts of sordid <laughs> craziness. Um, but I think, she'd, I think she'd be proud. You you have a um, you you climbed a, a mountain or something like that. I, yeah, I I uh, was dragged kicking and screaming up Kilimanjaro in January. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Uh, took seven days. There were eight of us that went. Um, so what's the reputation of Kilimanjaro? Who'd you go with and why? Well, I went with my husband. He wanted to go for his forty fifth birthday. So it was, it was um, Mark and myself, and then six friends and thirty two porters that helped us along the way. Uh, the reputation of of Kili is. Uh, Anybody can do it. Um, I don't know if I believe that. Uh huh. And uh, how high up were you? We, I got to 19, 000, about 19,100 feet. It was the highest I'd ever been. Coolest, coolest um, experience to be at that height. And there are glaciers up there. So that's about three miles really up. And, 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 and how warm was it? Uh, the day we summited, it took us uh, two, it took us six and a half hours to go two miles. It was negative 20, we think, with 30 mile an hour winds. Oh, it wasn't too warm, It was huh? very inhospitable. So let me ask you a question. So, um, so what, what did you learn from that experience? Is there anything to do with business? Well, I think people can put their minds, do anything they put their minds to. It was, uh, it was perseverance for me. It was dedication for a long period of time. It was moral support. It was team building. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind back to 2003 and you're in a startup and you're facing the end. Tell us what inspired you to pick your next path. I, um, to, to go from software to hardware, I really wanted to, uh, I wanted to chart my own path. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to do something practical. I, and the time I was in software didn't feel practical to me. I was living in a neighborhood where lots of people needed things to fix their houses, and I thought, well, why couldn't I own a hardware store? So what was the final tipping point? I was about to be laid off. The, the company was going out of business, and so I literally had to get another job, so I might as well make my own. And what lesson did you learn? What, 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 what is the biggest lesson you learned from the software business that you now apply to the local hardware business? Um, I, th I don't know if it's so much what I learned, but I really, I grasped or gravitated towards the practicality of it. You know, software is magic and I use lots of it in the hardware business, but it's, it's, it's still intangible in a lot of ways. People come into my store because they want to buy something to fix something. And I really, I like that practical aspect of it. So I think what you're saying is the problem solving. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we get to help a lot of people and solve a lot of problems. Everybody hardware store needs to solve a problem. Absolutely. Yes. Now, there's been a lot of people with startups who've been there right with you. What advice would you give someone who is at the end and it's not going to work out? There isn't that IPO where they make a ton of money and they have to make hard decisions. Um, I was once told that 70% of all businesses never start because of fear. My favorite advice is stop being afraid. Um, if you want to try something, try it. The worst thing that can happen is that you have to try something else. Do you know what's the website address of this organization? There's a few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals. It's acehardwaredc.com and hello-rentals.com. Let me have that again. 
acehardwaredc.com and hello-rentals.com. We've been speaking with Gina Schaefer, owner of Cheap Localist, and a few cool, a few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals here on Executive Leaders Radio. Back in a moment right after this break. Want to help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What do you, what do you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your business spotlight. Thank you. Back, you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Mark Drever, who's the CEO of Accelerate Solutions. Mark, what is Accelerate Solutions? We're a security firm focused on supporting the federal government how and large, make America safe. How large or how small is this organization? Now, we're roughly 230 FTs. 230 people. And how'd you get a job with this company? I started the company September 11, 2009. Uh huh. How old were you when you founded this company? I was 32 years old. Were you married or single? I was married. And to my high school sweetheart. And did you discuss this with your wife, the fact that most businesses fail and you wanted to start a business? Absolutely. She came from a long line of entrepreneurs, and uh, she was very supportive. Uh-huh. And uh, what was go- how many brothers and sisters do you have? 
I've got two natural brothers, and I've got seven stepbrothers and stepsisters. How come you have uh, stepbrothers and stepsisters? My parents were divorced when I was uh, about six years old. Uh, you actually mentioned in the dream that it was the uh, second worst experience of your life. Why? It was. Um, just because I was very close to my father, and uh, I was born in Connecticut. We moved to Northern Virginia, and I didn't have the ability to see him and spend time with him, um, and I was very attached to him. So you really you were looking for the connection, and you, what was so? What was the worst experience of your life? It was getting divorced. Why? Um, you know, I was with my ex-wife for 22 years. We were high school sweethearts, and uh, I just never envisioned myself getting divorced. And I and I don't get to see my kids every day, and that's that's very painful. Wow, Maggie. You mentioned that you were the youngest of nine siblings and step siblings. How did having so many siblings impact you? I mean, uh, I think it it, it hardened me. Um, because being the youngest, I, I generally got picked on a lot, and uh, and I think it, it created a lot of resolve and uh, really made me uh, more aggressive from being a timid kid. How does that impact your career now? Um, it just I, I, from that point forward, I've I've just become a bulldog at everything that I do, uh, whether it was in sports or whether it's in the boardroom or uh, working with clients. I focus in on an objective and I and I take it out. Andrew, uh, let, let's elaborate on that. What sports did you play growing up? Um, I played football and baseball. And uh, what what position did you play on the football field? I was a I was a linebacker and I was a fullback. And uh, you used a phrase. Uh, how did you describe yourself on the field? Uh, I considered myself a trained killer on the field. My job was to kill the quarterback on every play, and uh, I did a pretty good job at that. How mm -hmm. does that impact your your leadership style? You mentioned to Maggie that you know you take those skills into everything you do, but uh, as a as a leader, how do you? apply those skills yeah I mean as a linebacker I mean you, you generally are a captain on the field I was the captain of my teams uh, whether it was football or baseball and I brought that leadership to to the companies that I've worked for and to the teams that I've led uh, it teaches you to focus on a target you have to come up with a game plan and then you have to execute that game plan if you want to win mm -hmm. and I love to win and I hate losing mm -hmm. John so how young were you when you first started making money um, six years old and what'd you do I cut grass I uh, had a paper route um, you know, originally, my, I couldn't get the jobs to cut grass. So I had to pay my brothers a commission to go door to door. I, I then realized that I, I really wanted to, to uh, have somebody else do the hard work. So I ended up hiring some people to work for me uh, when I got old enough to land the jobs. And that's how it went. Cool. What else did you do to make money? Um, I would buy and sell lawnmowers. I would buy and sell bikes. Um, and anything I could really get my hands on where I felt like I could make a profit. So you're flipping bikes and lawnmowers at what age? Uh, I was probably about nine at that point. And who helped you? Or what was going on there? What was going on with her? Mark, you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the toughest things in your life was the, the separation of your parents, the divorce of your parents, and you weren't able to see your dad as much. But were there times where you would um, see him every so often and he'd help you on things that you were doing as a kid? Yeah, I, would, uh, I was pretty good at, at uh, building relationships, and for whatever reason, a lot of the older people in the neighborhood took a liking to me, and I'd be nosing around their garage or something if I was doing work for them, and I'd see a broken-down tractor, and I'd convince them to give it to me or sell it to me, and I, my father would come down a couple times a year, and he'd help me keep all those things running. He was a mechanic by trade, served in the Navy. How did that feel, your fact that your dad was coming down and giving you a hand with that stuff? Yeah, it was, it was great. It, uh, it really, I looked forward to it. And, uh, you looked he, forward to what? I looked forward to spending time with him and, and solving problems with him. My father was an amazing problem solver. How, how are you playing that role nowadays? Um, I, I really try to embrace that type of, that style of parenting with my kids, um, teaching them that you know, there is no such thing as a free lunch, um, working on things with them, um, using your hands, and teaching them how to use their brains away from electronic devices. William? 
Yeah, Mark, you're the CEO of a company that serves the federal government. And we talked in the green room a little bit uh, about the fact that you started this not because uh, you looked at it a way to make money, but you really looked at it as a way to help the country and, and serve the mission. Talk about that a little bit. W what propelled you in that direction? Yeah, I, c I come from a long line of service. Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother were both in World War II. My grandfather was on D-Day. My father was in the United States Navy. Uh, my stepfather was a Marine. So all I ever wanted to do was serve. Um, and when I was 16, I was in a bad accident, lost the vision in my left eye, and uh, that prevented me from serving um, and trying to find my way. Uh, a friend of mine's dad um, offered me an internship at a government consulting firm, and I quickly realized that that was the next best thing to serving. I was serving those who did serve. Uh, uh huh. The home, uh, did, wasn't there a question about Alex? Didn't you have a question there about the, that accident? Well, actually, the, in the green room, you talked about some distinct moments of adversity. The the first one was uh, you had a learning disability. C can you share what you learned looking back about? A learning disability and how you overcame it. What did you learn from that? Yeah, well, first, I, the first thing I learned is having a great support structure and having, you know, a mother who was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that I got the right help that I needed. Um, and then, you know, that you could you could accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. And just because you learn differently doesn't mean that you can't learn. So, you know, I had to repeat first grade. That was humiliating with my friends. And uh, but in the long run, you know, it taught me it taught me adversity and it taught me how to overcome obstacles in my life and uh, that there's nothing you can't accomplish if you put your mind to it. You just gotta make a plan, write it down, and work it every day. I know you talked about how your brother would pick on you, and I'm sure you might have had a field day early on, but you mentioned at what point did you start appreciating him in terms of what he did for you? Um, I've, I've always appreciated my brother, even though he picked on him, I've always looked up to him. Um, he went through some really tough times, and uh, when he was an adolescent and overcame a ton of adversity, um, and really became a role model when he, when he got his act together for me and uh, so I'd say that you know it was probably when I was 12 to 13 he stopped picking on me when I picked up a manhole cover and ran after him down the street <laughs> wow so and that sounds pretty crazy not nearly as crazy as when you were 16 and and you had this accident can you tell us the the impact of losing uh, one of your eyesight and one of your eyes yeah I mean it's uh, your whole world changes um, you know, there, it's not just the loss of the eyesight. There was, there, you know, I had third degree burns around my eyes, so there's the physical appearance as well, which I, you know, took seven surgeries to recover from, um, and uh, really ended my baseball career. I was on a baseball scholarship at the time, so it uh, it just it just taught me that if if you grind and if you um, you set a goal for yourself, even if you hit some roadblocks along the way or you stumble along the way, that you can still achieve it if if you want to. Chris. So, can you share a little bit about your relationship with your stepfather? I mean, you had so many step-siblings that, uh, what kind of role did he play for you? Yeah, my stepfather was an amazing man um, in, in so many areas. You know, he taught me the, the, uh, the, the fact that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, one of the reasons why I started one of my first businesses is because I wanted a new bike, and he said, well, you go get some lawn mowing jobs, and I'll lend you the money to get a bike. Um, you know, he, uh, he was just, he, was, he, was, he had the best core values of any person I've ever met. So he was your first investor, you can say, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so another moment of adversity is what you've just gone through, and you talked about your divorce, and but you've learned from it. And I thought that was very important because people go through it, and it's sometimes you don't learn. But what did you learn from just that experience? Yeah, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're all in on your business. And, you know, I just wasn't around a lot uh, over the last 10 years. And so I've learned that, um, you know, 
you need to learn how to prioritize in your life. You got to learn. You got to learn to have some balance because uh, if you take things for granted, they might not be there at some point. Wow. And, and how's that relate to your divorce? Give me that again. Well, my wife's no longer there, so <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my business caused at least half of that. So, uh, just because you know, I just wasn't around. What caused the other half? Her. Oh, all right. So you're 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 uh, you've you've really uh, you're the kind of guy that can really put your head down and sink your teeth into something, and you know you've learned about balance. Yeah. No. I have. I've, I've learned about balance, and it's it's given me perspective. Um, I've had to learn to have more balance in my life. And to uh, and to make sure that you don't get so focused that you pick your head up and understand what's going on around you, and uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and be aware of your blind spots. Huh? How how, how do you become aware of your blind spots? You learn tough lessons. Uh-huh. You know, or you have very close advisors and friends uh, to you that that will point those blind spots out and help coach you along the way. Huh. What's the website address of your organization? It's AccelerateSolutions.com, and that's. X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E Solutions.com Can you do that again? X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E Solutions.com We've been speaking with Mark Drever, CEO of Accelerate Solutions here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. This is John Schuhart. Join us, joining us for our business spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a yeah. 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county and all, as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like like they're our our friends. So So we get to come in and and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our events, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com. This is John Schuhart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the Internet, 
the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, it's organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Bostonbid. time. Bostonbid.com. And it's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Boston Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Joe Meadows, partner of Bean, Kenny, and Corman. Joe, what is Bean, Kenny, and Corman? What are you guys doing? Bean Kenny Corman is a full-service law firm serving the D.C. metro area. We're about 50 lawyers strong. And uh, where are you from originally? Salisbury, Maryland. And how many brothers and sisters? I have one sister, and she's younger by about two and a half years. All righty. 
And when you when you were in high school, where did you finish in your class? I was first. You were first in the class, and uh, I understand that uh, you used in the green room the following expression, that you followed your own lead. What did you mean by that? I was a very independent person when I was younger. All right. That has pros, I think, in my business life, but in my personal younger life, mm-hmm. it was very challenging. I had a little bit of a rebellious streak with my parents and my sister. Excellent. Uh, Andrew, what do you got? What did mom and dad do for a living? My dad was a physician and is still a physician to this day, practicing in Salisbury. He's 76 years old. My mother was a homemaker. And what uh, traits do you take from mom and and what do you take from dad? They're about 50-50, I think, from my dad. I do get a very um, work ethic, a working very hard to Mm -hmm. get the job done. Mm -hmm. And with my mother, Mm -hmm. she was a very emotional, empathetic person. And I have an emotional way to connect with my clients uh, in my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Alex. So, Joe, in the green, we talked a little bit about tennis, and you know, it's an individual sport. Tell tell us how how'd you do in tennis in high school. I was second seed in tennis. I really liked playing tennis. The the first seed guy, I would have never been able to surpass well, man, him. Man, number two is pretty good. You must have had a great coach. More on my own. Uh, we didn't really have a, uh, a a great coach at the time, and, and even if we did, I probably would not have listened to him very much. Again, I follow my own mm-hmm. lead. And well, you told us a funny story in the green room about a, a coach, and wh- what did he tell your parents? He told my parents at one point that um, I, I can't coach your son anymore. He basically fired me. I was uncoachable. Uh-huh. And, and when he said that, what did you decide to do about tennis and your level of commitment? Well, what that guy said about me, that didn't matter anything to me at all. I what mean, I was going to try to do the best that I could on my own and mm-hmm. win as many uh, games as I could. What the, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, when you were a kid, you and your sister were uh, playing together one day, and you remember a specific experience. What was that experience? This goes back to some sibling rivalry with her, and I recall, I don't know, maybe I was eight years old, uh-huh. and she Come was and what two, happened? What did you do years to your old, sister? And we were off playing together, and I thought it would be um, I thought it'd be funny if I cut her hair and pasted it on a construction paper and make animals. She didn't know any better. She was younger. She thought it was part of the game. So you did it. I did do it, uh-huh. and I, it, I, got in, I got in a lot of trouble for that. Maggie? So what happened with you and your sister when you guys were a little bit older? I think when we got a little bit older, it, as I matured, I realized that we didn't have the best relationship growing up. Maybe there's a way to repair that. And when she was in her 20s and needed a place to live and I had a place for her to be at where I was living, I offered that up to her. And we actually ended up living together for about a year. And mm-hmm. whose idea was that to live together? That was definitely my idea. Um, I knew she needed a place to stay, and, mm-hmm. and this was my way to so fix kind of the of, past. In spite of the fact you cut her hair off when she was a kid, you still have compassion and cared about your sister. William? Yeah, you, you talk about this uh, independent streak that you've had, and, and it sounds like it's uh, everything from sports to family. Um, being a great litigator, uh, I would imagine that you have to have a great deal of empathy with your clients. Uh, where does that come from? 
Well, the empathy definitely comes from my mother's side, and I would agree with you. The empathy is very important, certainly in litigation, and more importantly in the trial room, trial courtroom. Uh, as a trial lawyer, you need to connect with the jury. You need to connect with the judge, and the only way to really to do that is to put yourself in your client's shoes and suffer the same problems that they have so it comes out. From the other side, the hardworking side, that's from my dad, and that's just putting in the time to do you can to do what you can to succeed and to win. John? Joe, tell us about when you were a kid, the f- one time you stood up for somebody else. When I stood up for somebody else? Well, uh, there was a time when I was younger. I was actually playing tennis with a buddy of mine, and... there was a little pond next door to uh, right next to the tennis court there was a child that fell in the water his dog fell in the water and um, I was probably only like eight or ten and without any hesitation me and and my buddy rushed out and jumped in the water and saved them so how does that translate why you took it up when you say that (laughs) I hadn't thought about that uh, ish story in a long time. How's that describe who you are? And my buddy has since passed. He had mm-hmm. cancer, died about five years ago. How's that describe who you are? The fact that you just went ahead and jumped in the water selfishly in order to help uh, save uh, the kid and his pet. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't hesitate. You gotta, you just gotta follow your heart, your emotions. That's that's kind of what's coming out right now. What's so that have to do, What's that have to do with what you do for a living? Well, that helps with the. Certainly the litigation, the trial lawyer aspect, you, like I said, you have to connect with your clients emotionally and believe them in order to present that story the best way you can to the jury. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in their shoes. Uh-huh, John? So that friend that died of cancer, what do you think about uh, him when you practice law? Well, it's tough. I mean, he, he, uh, there's a calendar reminder that comes up every year. And I think about him on those times, and uh, you know, uh, we all have to move on in our lives, and but we want to keep the memories of things. So you you keep things around to remember persons by, and that's that's the calendar reminder. And <laughs> when you asked me that question, it kind of jumped out at me because today's not the day that he had the anniversary of his death. Um. So Joe, uh, clearly we understand how how you are such a great litigator, but um, thinking about being Kenny and Corman, how are you a great litigator and also a great partner? How does that happen? That's a, it's a great uh, question for, for anybody who doesn't really know how it works in the law firm environment. To be a great litigator is not always um, have the same requirements as being a great partner. Litigator, you have to have tactical skills, experience, and success at the task at hand as a a great partner nowadays in the past 10-15 years what's really important is business relationships management skills and um, bringing work for the law firm I try to do both I try to be a good litigator tactical skills and I also try to be a good partner and have business relationships the litigator the partner side that's the brain side how do you bring your heart to help your clients? Well, it, like I said earlier, in the courtroom, 
you have to connect with the client emotionally in order to present the best story and uh, that's that's kind of what you do in the courtroom as a litigator when you're hearing the stories when you're dealing with them for the first time they come into the office you have to have some empathy for their situation show them that you have empathy because they're going to have to trust you to sell their story to a a judge or a jury you said you uh, as a kid you had a pretty strong independent streak but who did you depend on and lean on when you were a kid other than my immediate parents there probably wasn't anybody else other than myself i we've heard in the past 10 years that you need a sponsor you need a mentor you need a rabbi and if i think about did i have anybody like that back when i was younger i guess the answer is no who leaned on you who leaned on you uh, isn't that the role you serve for your clients? The fact you didn't have anybody there, you're serving that role for them? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. What do you mean? Well, the, you know, clients usually, sometimes they are, they're not the ones with the law license. They can't go into the courtroom and present their cases um, as effectively as somebody with a law license who, who knows how the legal system works. That's so really they'd have to rely on me to defend them. That's to really how you names. see your role, don't you? You really want to get their story so that you can really truly represent them. You really are a representative, aren't you? Yeah. What's the website address of this organization? Beankinney.com. B-E-A-N-K-I-N-N-Y-E-Y.com. We've been speaking with Joe Meadows, partner of Bean Kenny and Corman here on Executive Leaders Radio. John, can you give us a rundown of who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today? Sure. Our first guest was Mike McDermott, president of Inquisit. Our second guest was Gina Schaefer, the owner and chief localist of a few cool hardware stores and Hello Rentals. Our third guest was Mark Drever, the CEO of Accelerate Solutions. And we just talked to Joe Meadows, the partner of Bean Kenny and Corman. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch Solutions, William Tidwell, Cressa, Maggie Jensik, Prosperity Group, and John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching, for giving me a hand structuring the questions. Hope you're providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today, and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.